Genesis, and we'll start in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 begins something that uh, you have in the back cover of our hymnal, and I don't know why, but for the last several weeks, the back cover of our hymnal has become kind of a popular choice. If, if you're not here on Sunday night or Wednesday night, people uh, pick their favorite songs to sing. And a lot of times the back cover gets picked. It's called Back to Bethel. And that song in our hymnal comes from what I want to talk about today from the Word of God and preach today. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of Abraham and his promise from God. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Morab, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said unto thy seed, Will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was very grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said to Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look unto, look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and, for, and my soul shall live because of thee. It came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. And the Egyptians also of Pharaoh saw her, and princes of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and he entreated Abram well for her sake and he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah Abram's wife and Pharaoh called Abram and said what is this that thou hast done unto me why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife why saidest thou she is my sister so I might have taken her to me to wife now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they went, sent him away and his wife and all that he had. And Abram went up out of the Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him unto the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, back in chapter 12. <clears throat> unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll go on today. Lord, help me to <clears throat> speak clearly and to uh, speak what you'd have said today and that it would be from your word and from your desire, your heart. And I pray that you would help us to hear from you today. We ask in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Bethel, as we'll see later on, means the house of God. That's what the word means, the house of God. And if you notice in chapter 12, he is given a promise that he will give the seed of Abram this land. Now, at the time, Abram had zero children. So in order for God to keep the promise to Abram that he would give him, again, his seed, the land that he was on, Abram was going to have to live long enough to have had at least one child. So in chapter 12, when it says that he went to Bethel, in verse 8, and he called upon the name of the Lord, that he should have just trusted the Lord, and I'm not picking on Abram because I'm human like he is, But in verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land. Now, we know what a famine is. It means there's not enough food. There's getting to be a scarce amount of food, and maybe it's a drought, and maybe there's not enough crops or whatever it might be, but whatever it is, there is a famine. And when there's a famine, and all of a sudden the food dries up or the food isn't accessible anymore, and people are getting worried, and you can understand that. And so the famine, it says, was grievous in the land. Now, Remember, just the previous verses, verse 6 through 9, God told Abram that he was going to give him this land. However, now there's a famine in the land, and it's grievous. And so Abram did what so many people do. We act according to what we feel. We act according to our human logic without trusting in the Lord and having faith in God. And what Abram did is he went down into Egypt. Now listen, he had promise and protection from the Lord. Was Abram going to die? No, because if Abram died, then his seed couldn't possibly inherit the land because he wouldn't even have had any seed to inherit the land. So Abram couldn't have died during this famine. And yet God was testing Abram and Abram didn't pass the test. He failed the test. He went down into Egypt and Egypt's always a picture of the world. It's never good to go down to Egypt. It's just always a picture of the world. And when you go into Egypt, bad things happen. And that's what he did. He went into Egypt and then notice what he does when he goes into Egypt. And that's, I guess, the second point here. Trouble isn't really trouble until we react wrong in the trouble, and then we have trouble. You know, just because you have some trouble doesn't mean you're really having trouble. Every one of us have tests. And, and, and just to be fair, later on in chapter 22, Abram passed an amazing test. But here, Abram's not passing this test, and he's learning. And by the way, tests are good for us because tests teach us. That's why we take tests. We take tests to learn what we don't know. And, and so that's what was happening with Abram, is Abram was finding out that, you know, I heard the promise of God, and I have followed him, and, but, but now that there's a trial, and there's a test, and there's some famine, and there's some hardship, I, I'm not sure if I can trust God, so I've got to run to Egypt and find the Egyptian grocery store. And that's what he did. And fear takes over. Now, when fear takes over, you know what happens soon after that? We're getting away from the Lord, so it's not too hard for us to start lying. And that's what Abram did, is he he told a little white lie. Technically, if you want to be technical, Sarai was technically a half-sister to Abram. But it was a lie because primarily she wasn't his sister, she was his wife. But he's afraid he's going to die. Now, listen, is he going to die? No, because God said, your seed's going to inherit the land. He's got zero seed right now. So he can't die. But he thinks he's going to die because he's forgotten the promise from the Lord. And this all stems from leaving 
the house of God. I go to church all the time, and, and, and I don't just go because I'm the pastor. I was going before I was ever a pastor. I was going to church. And you know what? There are lots of times where I am just encouraged and reminded that the promises of God are real. I don't find anybody in the world singing standing on the promises. But when I come to church, I hear God's people singing standing on the promises. And those promises are from the word of God. And I don't know where else you're going to hear as much of the word of God as you're going to in the house of God. And so there is a picture here in this story because Abram left Bethel, which means the house of God. Beth means house, El is God. And Abram left Bethel. He's going into Egypt. He goes down in Egypt. He tells this lie about his wife being his sister. Boy, that could have turned into a huge problem. And isn't it a bad thing if Pharaoh from Egypt is chewing you out for not telling the truth? I mean, that tells you how bad off you are if the Egyptian Pharaoh is more honorable than you are. And the Egyptian Pharaoh is saying, what in the world are you doing telling me that this was your sister? This is your wife. Now, he entreated Abram because of her and gave him sheep and oxen and asses and maidens and men servants, it says in, in uh, Camels in verse 16. There's a old pastor. I mean, Abram, he got rich. In fact, he got so rich, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. Verse 2, and Abram was very rich in cattle and silk. See, I mean, famine, rich. Pastor, come on. You picked the wrong text for your sermon today. Can I tell you something? Just because you got money doesn't mean that was a blessing. Just because you got wealthy in the deal doesn't mean it was from God. I know some of you are worried that that might be true because that's what you've been chasing for all your life. I'm telling you right now, it's a waste of time. That's not what you should be aiming at. That's what the world aims at. Listen to me. That's not the blessing. That's not the blessing. You know how I know it's not the blessing? Because until that time, there's never been this going on. Verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. You know why? Because they both got fat and happy, and they both got so much stuff and so much cattle and so much servants and so much everything that they couldn't live together anymore. You know, some people get what they want and lose what they had. That's a sermon by itself. They got what they wanted and lost what they had. And they had to split. Lot, the nephew, had to leave Abram. And anybody know the story of Lot after that? The Bible says that, that when Lot saw the plains of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, when he saw the plains, the green grass, it reminded him of Egypt. Well, where did Lot learn about Egypt? When Uncle Abe took him down there. The ramifications of getting away from the house of God are compounded. And so Lot became a casualty of Abram's decision to go into Egypt. Because if you keep reading there in that chapter 13, it says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, but it reminded Lot of the land of Egypt, verse 10. Also, if you were to keep reading in the book of Genesis, you'd find that in chapter 16, 
Sarah, his wife, had this really bright idea. You know, maybe maybe God isn't wanting you to have a child by me. Maybe God's wanting you to have a child by your my, my, my servant girl here, Hagar. Hagar was a servant girl. You know what nationality she was? Egyptian. Where do you think they picked up Hagar? See, <clears throat> when we get away from the house of God in a test and we do the wrong thing, we pick up stuff we don't. I, I don't think it, it was apparent what was happening here. But we have the advantage of reading the entire story over several chapters. And we're able to draw conclusions and realize, you know what? That trip to Egypt was a real bad idea. Not only that, but you read about Abraham's son, Isaac. And Isaac ended up having to go to a strange country. And you know what Isaac told his wife? Hey, listen, uh, they might kill me because you're pretty. So tell them you're my sister. And she wasn't even his half-sister. It was a full lie. Where do you think Isaac got that from? (laughs) Listen, we reap what we sow. And when we do the wrong thing and we get away from the Lord and we're not where God is, we're in trouble. And so I just want to point out that real trouble starts when we do the wrong thing when trouble comes. Trouble isn't by itself a problem. You get to chapter 22 and Abram passed that test with flying colors. And there are other people that have had trouble, but they obeyed God and had faith in God. And that is a blessing. I'll tell you right now though, a lot of us think, well, I'll tell you what, if I just had a million dollars, I would never have trouble again. You ask all the millionaires you can find if that's true. It ain't. <clears throat> trouble doesn't necessarily mean you got problems. It could just be God testing you. And I believe God was testing Abram. And if for no other reason, he was testing him so that we can learn and see some things. Now, <clears throat> You say, well, you're sounding kind of confident like you really believe that, that, you, that you, you're on track with this. I am, and I'll tell you why. Because <clears throat> it says in chapter 13, verse 2, he was very rich. Verse 3, he went on his journeys from the south, from south going north, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And at that point, Abraham was getting right with God. And God was able to talk with Abraham. I don't see God and Abraham having any communication the whole time he was in Egypt. But when he got right with the Lord and back to the altar at Bethel, which represents prayer, calling upon the name of the Lord, then he got right with the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you right now that getting back to Bethel. And I am not talking about this property. I'm talking about getting where God is and getting back to where you ought to be from where you used to be. See, it's called backsliding. And all of us who have been saved for any length of time, we do it. And we have a tendency to do it. Now, you can go on and read about Abram's life and some of the mistakes he made and some of the things that he reaped what he sowed. And We'll go on from there. But he had a son named Isaac, and we told you about that in a minute ago. But I want to look to his grandson, Jacob, because the next time we see Bethel is in Genesis chapter 28 and following. In Genesis chapter 28, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but Genesis chapter 28, just to give you some of the background, 
Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Esau was actually older than Jacob. And Esau was Isaac's favorite and Jacob was his mother's favorite. Now let me just stop and say that that's real bad parents. But that's what it, the way it was. And these two boys uh, were favorites of the mom and the dad, each one. And so Esau was not much of a, uh, of a thinker, I, I would say. He didn't think much. He, he wasn't very spiritual, I would say. And uh, Jacob wasn't much better. And his mother taught him and, and, and encouraged him to lie and to trick his own father to the point where he, he lied and pre- pretended to be his older brother so that he could gain the, the birthright and the blessing from his, bro- his father Isaac. And so Isaac, mistakenly being blind and old and not able to detect the difference, mistakenly blessed Jacob instead of Esau and, Esau and Jacob stole the birthright. Now, the mother did all this because she loved him the most and and favored him the most. But what she didn't realize is that would be the last time she would ever see Jacob. Jacob had to run for his life because his older brother Esau was so angry he wanted to kill him. And so now she says, Jacob, you're going to have to pack your bags. You're going to have to go up to my brother's house, Laban. He lives up in Syria. You're going to have to go up there and stay there a while. And I'm sure she only meant a while. It was, I think, 20 or 30 years before he ever returned. She was dead by then. When Jacob got to Laban, his uncle Laban, he learned a hard lesson about reaping what you sow and, and uh, not telling the truth and deceiving people and, and also birthrights because um, he fell in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. And uh, he said, I'll do anything. And he worked seven years for Rachel. And then... Uh, the night of his wedding, Uncle Laban pulled a switcheroo and stuck in Leah under the wedding dress in the wedding veil. And he ended up waking up the next morning, found out he was married to Leah instead of Rachel. I can only imagine the screaming and the agony of that. It turns out he worked seven more years so he could have Rachel. His whole, all, all this time his mother's waiting for him back home. He's not coming home. I think God was teaching Jacob a lesson about birthright and about deception. Let me back up though. When Jacob was fleeing his angry brother Esau and was headed to Laban, it says in verse 10 of Genesis 28, and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I don't think pillows are, uh, should be made out of stones, but that's what he did. As a matter of fact, the last song we sang was all about this. Nearer my God to thee, if you go back and read the words, it's all about this story right here. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate 
of heaven. Let me just stop and say that at the place of Bethel, and by the way, verse 19 says he called the name of that place Bethel because he said in verse 17, this is the house of God. Let me say that at Bethel, we learn some things. You see, when you get into God's house, you're going to learn some things. First of all, you're going to learn who Jesus Christ is. You say, I didn't see Jesus in that story, Pastor. Well, when it said back there in verse number 12 that he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Did you know that ladder is Jesus? You say, oh, I think you're stretching it. No, I, I would never try to stretch something, but I got real good authority that that's what it is because John chapter one, Jesus said, you're gonna see me and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Jesus called himself the ladder. And that's exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is the bridge. Without Jesus Christ, there's nobody reaching God. Without Jesus Christ, there's nobody going to heaven. And so the first thing that I think I want to mention to you, and the most important thing is we preach Christ. And that's the whole point of, of what the house of God should be about is that we point people to Christ. I don't know that Jacob fully understood that at the time, but that was his dream, this ladder that represented Jesus Christ. Not only will you learn of Christ in the house of God, but you'll also learn of God's will. God told him, just as I promised Abraham, I will bless thee and I will bless your seed. God's will can be found in the house of God. You're not going to find God's will away from God, but you can find the will of God in the house of God. So many times I have talked to people and it's been over and over again. I've heard the same recurring thing. I remember one time years ago, there was a young mother sitting at our kitchen table and she was sobbing. She was just weeping and sobbing. And the reason why she was there is because she was picking up her little baby girl that she had left with us and she went to a, a company or uh, employee party, Christmas party or something. And she found out during the party, someone revealed to her that her husband had been having an affair. And so now she comes back to our house. We barely know this person and she's sitting at our table and she's just sobbing. And I, I thought, well, the first thing I need to do is I need to talk to her about her salvation. I, I mean, I, I, I can console her. I can tell her I feel terrible for what she's learned. But I mean, I need to take this opportunity and ask her if she's been saved. And, and do you know Christ is your savior? And so I gave her the gospel and, and she said, yes. She said, when I was about 12 years old, I went to a, a youth thing in Sioux Falls and I got saved. I, I, and she was very firm about that. And I said, well, where, where, where did you meet your husband? Does anybody want to take a guess? Did you say B-A-R? Did anybody say B-A-R? Yeah, that, that's right. That's what she said. Can I tell you something? You can't go wrong if you stay in the house of God. It's a lot better than the world's places. You're going to do yourself a lot better if you'll just stay where God's house is and stay out of the devil's house. God's will is found in the house of God. And then I want you to notice also in chapter 28 in verse 16, it says, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Now, I got a question for you. Why would he think it's dreadful and why would he be afraid? I know, he's not right with God. 
Did you know that there's some people that are afraid of the house of God? There's some people that say, oh, no, I'm not going there. It's because of fear. I don't want to get close to God. That's scary. And Jacob not being right with God at this time. He just got done lying and stealing his brother's birthright and lying to his own father. He's not right with God. And he's scared. And so I just want to also point out how sinful we are. The house of God points out our sin. I don't like going to church because I always feel like a sinner. Listen, that's probably the right church. Shame on the ones that make you feel good for nothing. That's a good thing. We need to know how sinful we are. We need to see ourselves. And Jacob woke up and was afraid. I just saw a ladder reaching to God and I am scared. This is dreadful. Didn't know what to think. And then notice here what he says. And Jacob rose up, verse 18, and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and called the name of that place Bethel, house of God. The name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I am come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. You know what else we learn in church? That there are some things that belong to God. Now, what is he ta- when he says tenth, what is he talking about? He's talking about tithe. You know, the only other time in the Bible, in Genesis before this, that you can find this is Grandpa Abraham giving Melchizedek, who was Jesus in the Old Testament, tithes. Jacob knew about tithes. And Jacob, in a, in a fearful, dreadful state, knowing he had just seen God, said, I will give you the tenth. Listen, some people say, well, that's Old Testament law. Listen, Moses hadn't even been born yet, and Moses is the one that wrote the law, so tithing is not a law thing. Tithing is a, I'm going to honor God with my tithe thing. Tithing is, I'm going to honor God with first place in my life thing. Can I encourage you to understand that the house of God is where we honor God and where we find out what really belongs to God? Tonight I'm going to talk about that it's not just 10%, it's 100%. But Jacob said that because he knew that that was the right thing to do. Now, I have to say this. Because let's read it again. He vows a vow, verse 20. If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Can I ask you a question? Don't you think that's kind of backwards? Uh, God, if you if you help me out, I'll be your I'll be I'll be your servant. You'll you'll be my God. I'm, I'm just wondering why he left. If if he found God and he found the house of God, why does he think he needs to keep going to Laban's house? You know what happened when he left Bethel? What I just told you. He ended up with two wives who were sisters. I can't think of a worse nightmare in the world than marrying two women who are sisters. That's what he did. You talk about not smart. This is what happens when you get away from the house of God. He is now married to two sisters, and they don't like each other. 
because one tricked the other one and one's pretty and the other one's not. And this one has sons and this one has sons and they don't like each other and one son gets stolen by the slave as a slave by the other sons. And I'm telling you, it's just chaos. And you read this poor man's life and it's like, wow. How did he not blow a gasket? Can I, can I make a suggestion? He left the house of God. Chapter 31. Finally, he's had enough. He's worked 14 years for two wives. And then he's worked another six years for the cattle. And he's had it. And so after 20 years in chapter 31, it says, Jacob's talking to his wives. And he says, the angel of God spake unto me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I, I said, here am I. And in verse 13, it says, I am the God of Bethel. Remember that God? Remember Bethel? That's the first time I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we see God talking to him since chapter 28. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest the vow unto me. Now, arise, get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. So God spoke to Jacob in a dream and said, Jacob, you need to get back to Bethel. That's where things start going wrong. You need to get back to where you last had communion with me. So they start to make their way. In chapter 32, he wrestles with an angel. I believe it was Jesus, but he wrestles with an angel of the Lord. I think it was Jesus incarnate. And wrestles with him. And he wrestles because he knows he's about to face Esau who wanted to kill him 20 years earlier. Jacob's still not right with the Lord, but he's trying to get back to Bethel, but he's making a real slow progress. He's procrastinating. See, it's good that you acknowledge that you need to get right with God, but not if you're not gonna do it. If you're just saying you're going to do it, I yeah, I need to get back. I need to get back to God. But you're not right with the Lord. You're procrastinating. And Jacob wrestles with his angel, and the angel, uh, of course, wins the wrestling match. But God does protect him, and he is able to be saved and and to be safe from Esau. And Esau's heart's changed, and he's no longer bitter towards him. But here's the real head scratcher for me. When Esau and Jacob meet up and, and Jacob finds out that Esau's heart has been humbled and changed and Esau is very gracious and very kind and Jacob's prayers have been completely answered and he is safe, his family is safe, he's not going to be killed by his brother and there's not going to be revenge and he's so relieved. And Esau says, now come on with me, brother, let's go home. And, he, and Jacob says, oh, you go ahead and I'll just move a little slower. Procrastinator. Look, if you know to do right, do it today. Don't do it next week or next year. If you know where you're supposed to be now, then be there now. Don't procrastinate. And here's what Jacob did. Verse 18 of chapter 33, Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't God say go to where? God told him to go where? Bethel. Why is he buying land in Shechem? Jacob was told to go where? Bethel. 
chapter 31, verse 13, God said, go to Bethel, where we last talked. And then God protects him, and he's starting to make progress, and all of a sudden, everything looks fine. I don't need to go all the way to Bethel. I mean, everything's fine. Esau's not mad anymore. Why do I need to hurry? And so he buys property in Shechem. It's not where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be where? Chapter 34, verse 1, Jacob's only daughter is Dinah. I don't even want to read the chapter. But you know what happened to Dinah in Shechem? She got raped. He's not supposed to be there. Where's he supposed to be? Bethel, house of God. But he settles in Shechem and his daughter is violated and two of his boys are so mad that they went in and killed all of the people in Shechem. And at the end of the chapter, he says to his sons, you've made me to stink in this land. And they said, well, can he, they deal with our sister like a harlot? You talk about a not very happy family. Now, chapter 35, verse 1. Again, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Don't stop there for a minute. Don't stop there for a night. Go to Bethel and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that, thou, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem and they journeyed. Now hold on a second. It's interesting that when you are not in Bethel that you got to have a house cleaning. Isn't it sad he couldn't say, all right, let's go. First thing he had to say is, all right, put away the strange gods. Why are there strange gods in the family? And get rid of those garments. That are... It's amazing how the attire goes with not being right with God. Wrong attire, not being right with God. It just goes together. I don't know exactly what the earrings were all about. Maybe that had to do with some worldly thing or, or heathen thing or worshiping a false god. But get rid of that stuff. And when you pretend to be right with God, but nothing ever gets cleaned, there's something not right there. Because when you get close to the Lord, there's going to be a house cleaning. But praise the Lord, at least he finally, finally put his foot down and said, we're going to clean house. Get rid of it. It took all of this, including the violation of his only daughter, to finally get to this point. But then notice here in verse 7, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. Now you know what El is. El is God. And Beth is house and El is God. Why does he call it El Bethel? Because there God appeared unto him 
when he fled from the face of his brother and he was saying, it's the God of the house of God. I just want to finish today by saying, it's not just the place, it's the God of the place. It's not just going to church that makes everything fine. It's being with God. And Jacob was finally getting right with God. Jacob was finally coming to the Lord. And verse 9, God appeared unto Jacob again. And he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. He finally could again talk to him about blessing him because he got right with God at the house of God until Joseph sent for him so many years later to come down and spend the time with him there in Egypt. Jacob was an old man by then, but until then, I think as far as I know, this is where he stayed. And he dwelled in Bethel. I say all that today because we have a neat song in the back of our book and we're going to sing it in just a minute. But before we sing it, I just want to close by saying, listen, folks, you can physically walk into a church property building and still not be with God and still not be right with God. But obviously going to church will be a lot closer than not going at all. Going to the house of God is certainly better than not. And there are people all over who claim to be Christian and probably many of them are, but they've just gone like Jacob and gotten away from God and gotten far from God. And man, it's gonna cost too much if I get back to Bethel. It's gonna gonna cost me and I'm gonna have to spend a lot of energy and I'm gonna have to lose a lot of thing and shed a lot of thing and do a house cleaning and I'm gonna have all kinds of questions to answer. and, And so I'm just gonna procrastinate. That's not the answer. I think about my friend we support him he's one of our missionaries his name is Sam he's a missionary in Mexico and I think about him a lot because I love his testimony and how that he maintained the understanding that the house of God was more important than anything I'm going to tell you I've told you this before but I'm going to tell you this weird story Sam was raising funds for the mission that he was going to his pastor back home was collecting the mail and then Sam would call and say, hey, pa- pastor, um, this church here and then this church here and this church here, they promised that they were sending in the support, so I'm just calling to see, has, have you seen it? Is it coming in? Pastor said, no, I haven't seen it. Sam said, are you sure? No, no. And after a while, Sam's telling me this story years later. He said, after a while, I realized he's, he's lying. He's taking my money. And I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, but Sam, you're still in the same church. And I knew that because he'd been in the same church for for a long time. I said, Sam, why why didn't you leave? And as soon as it came out of my mouth, he looked at me and said, because I knew it wasn't right to leave. He said, what? Sam said, man, I, I had a lot of young Christians just newly saved and, and, and they, they looked up to me and if I left, they'd never understand. It would blow them apart. It would blow the church apart. If I exposed, he said, I just prayed that God would fix this. And God did fix it. And that man's not the pastor anymore. And the new pastor, I just texted him this week about a different issue. He's a good man. He's following the Lord. 
And the church is together and doing, and they're just outside of Washington, D.C. You talk about a place that needs a Bethel. But you know what? I tell that story because I do believe that being, that being loyal to the house of God, even if it means your own sacrifice, is worth it. When Sam goes back to visit, he doesn't tell that story. I don't think those people know that story. I think the pastor knows, but I don't think the church people know that story. I know it because I'm his friend. But don't you think he might kind of look around and realize that Bethel is a big deal? The house of God's a big deal. I bet there's people in here that can stand up and tell us some lousy story that happened at the house of God one time. But you know what? That doesn't mean that the God of the house of God isn't still around. We need to understand it's God of the house of God. If you, if you noticed, the Bethel for Abram and the Bethel for Jacob was not the exact same location. Abram's Bethel was further down this way and Jacob's Bethel was up by Luz. The point is, is it doesn't necessarily mean the location. It's the house of God. It's where God is. That's where I want to be. And Sam understood that God was still going to do something with that church, and he stayed. That's very unusual. I was recently talking to a brother-in-law of mine, and he was talking about how that their church has had some issues. And he said, I just wish so-and-so would have stayed a little longer because now things are right. I'm not preaching this because we got people leaving or we got trouble. And I know for a fact the pastor's not stealing the missionary's money. But I will tell you this. We need to understand, in spite of all the horror stories and all the negative stories out there, there's something special about the house of God. If it wasn't for the house of God, Cassandra wouldn't have gotten saved at the house of God. There's people in here today that wouldn't have gotten saved if it wasn't for the house of God. It's something special. And you know what the Bible says? It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 27, four says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to see God's house disappear. But when people get away from the Lord and there is no one there, it does disappear. I hope that you're encouraged to understand the importance of, of you and your family belonging and being where God's house is because that's where God is. It's not where Pastor Matt is. That's not what's important. Pastor Matt, he's, he's a human. He's, he's a ding-dong sometimes. And he's going to die someday. But God isn't. Let's get back to Bethel in our lives. Let's stay right with the Lord and never, ever leave. And let's understand these men's stories are there for our learning. Let's go to the back cover. I'll ask Wilma to play it. And we'll stand and sing and then we'll be dismissed. Just these four verses, it's worth singing. Back.